The Lord God placed a garden in Eden, in the east, and he placed there the man whom he had formed. The Lord God took the man and settled him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and to care for it. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 15. There were many varieties of archaic humans living on the earth over the past million years. In this context, archaic will refer to distinct species of men that once existed on the planet. Except for our own species, all have disappeared and remain mostly as random encounters with fossilized bones discovered across the world. I say mostly because at least three of these ancient species exist intertwined in our DNA today. For the purposes of this episode, I will only refer to those three archaic human species, the Cro-Magnon, the Neanderthal, and the Denisovan. For a long time, anthropologists thought of modern humans distinctly as Cro-Magnons, with all other archaic humans as having been wiped out or otherwise gone extinct. Further research has not only resulted in the discovery of Denisovan man, but also revealed that we are not pure Cro-Magnons. We are, rather, a combination of all three people around the world having mostly Cro-Magnon DNA, but each specific region having low concentrations of Neanderthal and or Denisovan genes. The term Cro-Magnon may be new to some listeners. As a term used to describe our prehistoric ancestors, it was gradually replaced around the end of the 20th century by the term Homo sapiens, and then later by phrases such as early modern humans or European early modern humans. Cro-Magnon was originally used to describe such archaic people, due to the location of the discovery of their remains in a place by the same name in France in 1868. Of course, prehistoric remains had been discovered before that time, but they had always been interpreted strictly in terms of biblical creation, as the theory of evolution had not been completely developed by then. It was only by the time of the discovery of Cro-Magnon that those involved in the nascent study of man began to conceive of a past that went much farther back than the generally accepted and biblical timeline of the world that spanned no more than roughly 6,000 years from creation to the present. Over the course of the 19th and much of the 20th century, Cro-Magnon was a term used to distinguish the remains of prehistoric Neanderthals from the remains of ancient people who looked much more like ourselves. They also used the term to distinguish prehistoric remains from those that early archaeologists might find in the ruins of Egypt or Mesopotamia. As more time passed and more digs revealed an increasingly wide variety of remains, which could not be associated with specific civilizations of the past, nor could they be dated to anything that remotely overlapped such civilizations, Cro-Magnon simply became the easiest way to describe such finds. These ancient humans, whatever you might call them, as well as the other hominids that preceded them or existed contemporaneously with them, lived during a period of time that archaeologists began to refer to as the Stone Age, due to the apparent lack of metal tools among the ruins and remains. These days, the Stone Age is divided into three specific periods, the Paleolithic, or Old Stone Age, the Mesolithic, or Middle Stone Age, and the Neolithic, or New Stone Age. This episode will focus on the developments of the Paleolithic, specifically with regard to the three aforementioned species of archaic humans. The Paleolithic began over three million years ago, when anthropologists first find evidence of stone tool use by hominids, 
It should be noted that other hominids, not as closely related as Neanderthals, also used stone tools during their existence on the Earth. But we leave their study behind for those interested in anthropology as we move on with the timeline that is bringing us, slowly but surely, to Western history. The Paleolithic ended around 10,000 BC, so it encompasses the vast majority of the human timeline. During that immense span of time, there were many developments, advances, and changes in toolmaking industries. We are only going to review quickly those that pertain to Neanderthals and Cro-Magnons. It should be noted also that the beginning of the Stone Age does not signify the beginning of tool use itself. It is very likely that hominids were using tools of wood and bone long before they used stones. Think of chimpanzees using twigs to remove termites from their holes in order to eat them. Or consider the iconic opening scenes from the movie 2001, in which an early ape man discovers that he can use the thigh bone from an animal carcass to drive off his enemies. In addition to the use of stone tools, the Paleolithic time period is also probably when man developed an even more powerful capability that his increasingly complex tool use. It is not known, but it is presumed that sometime during this period, men acquired the ability to use language. This should be distinguished from communication itself. As stated in previous episodes, communication of some sort is common among many animal species. But language, the use of words, grammar, and syntax, that is probably unique to man on planet Earth. Although there are some claims that dolphins and whales possess languages, albeit in a form entirely different from our own. The impact and significance of this development cannot be overstated. Without language, humans never learn to write, or for that matter, have any need to. But the impact of language is much more fundamental than writing, which is not developed anyway until somewhere around 4000 BC, as best we can tell. No, language would have provided a crucial advantage for many activities, such as hunting, in which the timely delivery of complex instructions would have made the difference between a successful hunt and a failure. It would have been necessary for all sorts of planning, such as explaining to children or others why the clan moved from one hunting and gathering site to another, and at which times of year, and for what reason, etc. Think also of warring tribes trying to make peace packs. The more you think about it, the easier it is to see that the use of language is fundamental to many activities that make humans distinct from the rest of the animal world. Yet we have virtually no data regarding this crucial attribute of humanity we don't know when it developed. Once it was thought particular to Cro-Magnon man and cast as the primary reason that he out-survived the Neanderthal. Modern theory is not so sure, and the Neanderthal may have been capable of speech as well, although it is unknown how this speech might have compared with our own capability. So, ironically, we have almost nothing to say about the rise of language among archaic humans. What we know for sure is that Cro-Magnons, remember that they are also called Homo sapiens or early modern humans, did in fact have this ability to speak. And it seems to have been one feature, if not the primary feature, that set them apart from their competitors in the natural world and gave them an advantage. In addition to the survival advantages gained, we should not forget that language also gave us the Odyssey, the Bible, St. Augustine's Confessions, the Summa Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas, the works of William Shakespeare, the poetry of Walt Whitman, and countless other cultural delights without which human life would lack so much entertainment and mystery. Speech was acquired deep in our primordial past, but it remains prehistory's most significant gift to us, even now.
It is time to introduce the small cast of characters that come onto the stage of the human drama at this point, several hundred thousand years ago. The cast is small not only because we will discuss just three types of archaic humans from this time period, but also because there were simply very few of them. Best estimates suggest that the archaic human population of all Europe may have averaged in just the tens of thousands for most of this period, the Paleolithic, even lowering to less than 10,000 souls at some junctures. A scarcity of humanity hard to imagine in the early 21st century, when the world population is projected to approach 9 billion by mid-century. Neanderthals were unknown in the nascent study of human prehistory in the 19th century. When fossils of these archaic humans were first discovered, they were initially depicted as brutish, squat archetypes of the caveman, the kind of guy who carries a club and drags women around by the hair. Continuing research revealed that this initial view of the Neanderthal was inaccurate. Neanderthal brains were, in fact, larger than those of modern humans, though the areas of the brain devoted to cognition were likely smaller. Nevertheless, Neanderthals appear to be quite different from earlier types of hominids, some of whom were discussed in the last episode. They possessed a culture. They may have produced some rudimentary forms of art. They buried their dead and manufactured stone tools that were much more advanced than those of Homo erectus, Homo habilis, and others. Neanderthals appear to have lived mostly in Europe and in the Levant. The Levant is the eastern coastline of the Mediterranean, which most of us today would associate with Egypt, Israel, Lebanon, Syria, and Turkey, though there are remains found in regions deeper in Asia. They may have appeared as early as 800,000 years ago, but by 40,000 years ago, as far as fossil records can tell us, the Neanderthals were completely extinct. Neanderthals were also responsible for a tool industry known as the Mousterian. You may remember that I used the word industry in the previous episode to describe a distinct tool-making culture of the prehistoric world. Several other industries precede that of the new Neanderthal Mousterian culture, and many are associated with hominids far removed from modern humanity, such as Homo erectus. However, in light of this podcast's goal to review Western history and civilization, I will once again pass over those industries and move forward. The tools of Neanderthals evolved over time, but they are most closely associated with the Mousterian industry. You might think that there is little that can be said about Stone Age technology. However, there is a great deal of difference and improvement found in each succeeding industry of hominids. The first stone tools of millions of years ago were little more than rocks split so that they produced fine edges for scraping and cutting. Over time, our hominid ancestors developed techniques to create superior blades and other tools out of stone, such as knives and projectile blades, and tools used to drill, to manufacture clothing, even to make art. The Neanderthal Mousterian history is distinguished from prior industries in several ways. Among them are the particular ways in which the blades are flaked away from a stone core. Also, Mousterian tools are or can be hafted, that is, they are manufactured so that they are able to be attached to a haft or a handle, this handle presumably being made of wood. An easy item from this period to imagine would be the hand axe, although many other tools and weapons might be hafted as well. It is important to note that this industry, while associated strongly with Neanderthals, was not unique to them. Such tools are also found at the sites of other archaic humans. Except for the fact that those of us who have European blood in our veins carry some Neanderthal DNA in our chromosomes, the Neanderthal is a dead end for the purposes of this podcast. 
So we will leave them behind, along with another archaic ancestor of ours, Denisovan man. This race of men, the Denisovan, was not even discovered until 2010, when some of their remains were dug up in Siberia. The little that is known about them is that they were a species of the Homo genus, along with Homo sapiens and Homo neanderthalensis, that lived mostly in Asia. Humans from Asia today have the same relationship to them that Europeans have to Neanderthals, carrying a small percentage of Denisovan DNA in their blood. Our story really carries on with a variety of ancient humans known as Cro-Magnon man. Anthropologists eventually began to call them Homo sapiens. Homo is a Latin term referring to the genus of man, but obviously includes both males and females of the genus. Sapiens is a Latin term for wise or knowledgeable. Recently, it has become more accepted to call these prehistoric people early modern humans. The ancestors of these early humans, call them what you may, most likely left Africa as much as 100,000 years ago or more. All humans in Africa appear to be descended from them, with little or no admixture of any other blood. As these early humans spread out into the world, into Europe and into Asia, they apparently interbred to some extent with other species of archaic humans that they met there. There is some controversy as to what exactly happened during early modern humans' encounters with these other races of men, the Neanderthals and the Denisovans. Since these other species of men no longer exist, some explain their disappearance with stories of presumed tribal warfare that would have lasted tens of thousands of years and ended with our ancestors conquering and victorious. Others suggest that they were merely outcompeted by our ancestors and lost the evolutionary struggle for resources and reproduction over the millennia. However things worked out, there was clearly a small amount of interbreeding between the species interbreeding which resulted in our present population of diverse humanity. Early modern humans are uniquely responsible for the industry that immediately followed and replaced the Mysterian industry, the Aurignacian tool industry. This industry, unlike the Mysterian, is unique to just one kind of archaic human, the Cro-Magnon. These tools appear in the Levant and then Europe, starting over 40,000 years ago. This suggests a migration of early modern humans out of Africa and the Middle East into Europe starting at this time. Their tools and their skeletons, virtually all that remains of their culture, replace all others at this time. No more is found of Neanderthal's physical remains, cultural or industry after about 40,000 BC. They were completely replaced by our ancestors and pass out of this story forever. It is not yet known when Denisovan man became extinct. Orignation tools are distinguished from the Mysterian by the fineness of their blades, by the sudden appearance of jewelry among their remains, such as bracelets, and the art that they left behind in the form of small sculptures, such as the Venus of Whole Fells. This figurine, found at an archaeological dig in Germany, was made out of mammoth ivory. It is less than three inches in height and was probably worn as an amulet. Given the exceptionally well-endowed proportions of the woman it depicts, it is likely associated with fertility. Their organizations also made cave paintings, a tradition that would continue for tens of thousands of years among the successor industries and cultures which would follow. That is right, there were many more industries after the organization. The Gravedian and the Salutrian are just two, 
that come to mind. But again, we will leave these industries and their specific study behind so that we can continue with our timeline. Now, the Oryg nations had more complex approaches to burial as well, as did all the cultures that followed. While it is known that the Neanderthals, or at least some of them, buried their dead in graves and may have even adorned or accompanied the remains of their dead loved ones with gifts, such as flowers, Homo sapiens of the Oryg nation cultures and the others that followed would significantly innovate burial practices, even creating burial mounds for apparently high-ranking members of their clans, raising stones and earth over the dead to honor them. In studying history, we put a great deal of significance into the transition from hunting and gathering to agriculture. It is often assumed that hunting and gathering was the most fundamental way in which ancient hominids found sustenance in the natural world. However, there is an important distinction to make regarding how Paleolithic and later humans hunted. While evidence shows that Paleolithic hunters hunted a wide variety of animals, they are the only hunters in our past who hunted truly big game such as mastodons and woolly mammoths. In fact, the disappearance of these big game animals and others seems to coincide with the transition out of the Paleolithic and into the next era, the Mesolithic, when tools and other aspects of human culture also seem to change. Related to the change in human hunting patterns is another event which must have taken place during the Paleolithic, though no one can be sure of just when. Tens of thousands of years ago, humans first domesticated the dog, how they did so is a mystery. Some presume that baby wolves were found or captured and then raised among humans in their clans. Others imagine wolves skulking near human big game kills and slowly and mutually gaining trust with the humans. There will be an episode in the near future about animal domestication, but the domestication of the dog is really a thing all its own. When you discuss other technological and such developments, you often see an increasing cascade of related developments that follow. For instance, when the history of agriculture is studied, you see an increasing variety of crops being grown in various areas shortly after the first wheat or barley or corn or rice is grown. That is not the case with dog domestication, and that's why I make a special point of it. The next animal would not be domesticated for tens of thousands of years, long after the end of the Paleolithic, and only then do you see that expected cascade of variety as pigs and sheep and cows and eventually Horses are added to the menagerie of Stone Age man. The so-called domestication of the dog does not fit into the pattern established by other developments in human history. It does not appear as intentional. Nevertheless, it happened when man emerges from the Paleolithic with larger roaming populations, with new tools and weapons, with jewelry, with the capability for advanced language, with the mastery of fire. They also appear with the dog at their side an image that dog lovers might find comforting as they contemplate the long friendship of man and canine. Neanderthals, Denisovans, and Paleolithic Homo sapiens also share something that later humans have no experience of, they lived during numerous glacial maximums of the Ice Age. All history since the Paleolithic 
takes place entirely during this present interglacial period. Yes, probably unknown to some listeners, the Ice Age is not something in our past. We live now in an Ice Age that began over two million years ago. We just happen to live during a period when glaciers are at a minimum. However, all history since the Paleolithic takes place during this same interglacial period. The end of the last glacial maximum, when glaciers covered a much more significant portion of the Earth, took place about 12,000 years ago, a date which also, interestingly, coincides with the extinction of most big game and also with the technological and cultural transition out of the Paleolithic and into the Mesolithic. Some final thoughts. This episode begins with a reading of a passage from the book of Genesis. In that passage, man is placed in the Garden of Eden and told to cultivate and care for it. Anthropology tells us that man was indeed in a garden, but cultivation of it did not seem to occur to him until it was too late for many animal species that are now extinct. Suddenly lacking the big game to which he was accustomed to hunt, man was forced to begin carefully shepherding the resources that remained. while seeking out other forms of sustenance. His failure to care for the garden, then, forced him to develop new techniques for survival, to re-engineer his tools, and to seek new resources. Just when humans might have despaired at the loss of their customary way of living, chasing down big game and living off their kills for days and weeks at a time, they adapted to their new environment, one which they themselves had caused, They innovated such that their new way of life allowed them to grow their populations and achieve greater feats than they might have ever imagined. As the Paleolithic closes, Homo sapiens, Cro-Magnons, early modern humans, whatever you want to call them, are the lone survivors in the landscape of archaic humans. They have their dogs at their sides. The big game is becoming scarce, but the glaciers are melting, receding to the north or into the high mountaintops, revealing new lands. It is an exciting time to be human, a time full of both challenges and opportunities, a time known as the Mesolithic. In the next episode, we will look at this Mesolithic age the comparatively much briefer portion of the Stone Age that followed the Paleolithic. Until then, thank you for listening to the Western Traditions Podcast.